It is time to tune up the band and make some obscure video game reference for your finishing move, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello, chaps. How are we doing on this fine day? Well, technical difficulties abound, but otherwise we're fine. I was going to say, everything else notwithstanding... Uh, being a Final Fantasy fan and taking just slight umbrage oh with obscure video game references with your finishing move, but I understand. Well, I think, think about I'm it. A who, ma- who, I'm a massive nerd, okay? Who knows what a V-Trigger is outside of the fighting game community? That's no, like, I know. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say the Hadouken, but, you know, everyone knows There's the only... I know that there's a finite number of people in this world that know what one winged angel refers to. <laughs> Sorry, if, okay. if, the, if the Here Comes the Pain uh, mod was anything to go by, it's the one winged angle. You know, the free angle brothers. Eric, oh, yeah. Kurt, the, the and one, one winged. One winged. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> look, I, it, I, I am doing okay. I'm keeping myself horrendously busy as usual. Um, I still refuse to learn from my mistakes. Mm. Oh gosh! <laughs> By that, that's 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 basically that's basically it. Um, you know, we get to we get to this point now where we're recording, and I'm just there like I am still horrifically busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You can't see me, right? You can't see me, but I'm doing like a thumbs up right now. <laughs> Here's me thinking, oh, I've got a couple of busy, like, a, like a two, the first two weeks of May are going to be busy, and then I'll be fine, and then come to the end of this week, and I'm like, I just realised my entire month is really busy. <laughs> like, extremely busy. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah, I've been good. How good. busy have you been, Reardon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I, I, it's safe to say that we're all flipping busy, as yes. is going to be the case for this entire month. But anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, there is the alpha, there is the omega, and then there is pending. <laughs> Of which we are always pending and always shall be. <laughs> nice. I like that. I thought you were going to go like, I, just, I thought it was going to be an obscure like Street Fighter reference. But no, no, no. You kept it simple. You kept it simple. You know, I appreciate simplicity, that. Simplicity sometimes is key. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something we will go into when we get to 2020, uh, of which AEW was guilty of not being simple. But I'll get into that before we yeah. get to the retrospective on Kenneth Jerome Omega. It is time to visit Dad for this week. No, I shit you not. That was actually one of his ring names back in the day. <laughs> hey, look, it'd be like that, okay? It is time to visit Dad for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 down. Wrestling news. Oh, nice. that was that was smooth. That was, was a smooth, smooth one. I quite like yeah. that. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into this by starting with. I think we'll talk about the Forbidden Door pre-sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest news right now. So obviously, uh, the United Center. Um, 
<clears throat> obviously very good for um, AEW to be doing so quickly. I think it was like basically completely sold out on pre-sale within like the first few hours. Yeah. So obviously really, really cool to see. Um, obviously compared to uh, what other people have done there, I know a lot of people are drawing the comparison and drawing a kind of a complaint regarding what obviously like UFC does, although obviously, you know, you got to think about the, the differences in presentation and stuff mm-hmm. um, about how they have uh, a whole section cut off to allow for staging. Mm. But, you know, like you have to make compromises. I understand where people come from it. Um, I know I saw a lot of people talking about like they could have given the United Center a kind of almost like sumo hall feel. True. Mm. We're like it. We're like it's it's very stripped back. Mm. But like for what they're doing, I don't think it's. I don't really think it fits right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think with what they've done, it it's okay. You know, it's not anything. It's not like mind blowing numbers. <laughs> but for a show but... like this, it's 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 impressive. It's incredibly yeah. impressive. Because I think a lot of for a lot of people. There is probably going to be a, a a good portion of people that probably know next to nothing about New Japan, um, but there's probably going to be a lot of AEW fans that are, are big fans of New Japan. So for the fact that this is sold out the way it has for a such a, a in a, in a good sized arena like the United Center as well, it is massively impressive, massively impressive, and I feel that this benefits both both AEW and New Japan, because if this show does one thing, it's that it probably will make some new fans of New Japan. Well, that's the hope anyway, I, I'd imagine from New Japan's perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because obviously they were going very heavy on the US expansion. Mm. Um, and then obviously uh, everything that happened with the world happened and that kind of killed it, yeah. along with, you know, as, as you can kind of say, um, AEW, AEW's founding cut into their US expansion as well. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it is it is a very kind of complicated thing to have to go around in terms of how you, you know, how you set things up and how you want things to be presented. Again, I said that they're doing the United Center, which is kind of becoming like a, a pseudo second home. Hmm for them so it'll be it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see for sure um i'm just excited to see what kind of caliber of matches we're, we're gonna get um i can imagine this it's going to be a good portion of dream matches people have wanted with some with some ones that we don't expect for a more casual audience to try and get into a bit more um yeah tony khan has said that there will be women's matches in this one unfortunately no one from stardom will be there because they've got a show on the exact same day in mm-hmm. tokyo so it wouldn't surprise me hear me out on this one it wouldn't surprise me and it would actually be really nice to see if uh, someone from aew would actually end up appearing on that stardom show well that's what i was gonna say because that's what i'd really like to see mm. i'd like um, to see Britt baker honestly It'd be yeah. I mean, I mean, I, the the problem I have with Britt Baker is I feel like if she went over to Stardom, 
or even if she went over to TJPW, I think she'd just be she'd be so far done out on work rate. True. Especially because Stardom's really gotten into a group of talent that have really been pushing high speed beauty. Mm. Cause like um the the big thing I mean obviously with like Mayu and all all like the the main you know stardom talents like one of the really big things recently has been um starlight kid versus azumi that was yeah i've and like they go fucking fast that it's like <laughs> and that's not and that's not to say they that's not to say they can't work slower pace mm. um i just don't know if you know brit would be matching what stardom is presenting right now true i feel if it was if, if it were for brit it might be actually of, of great benefit for her i'm not saying yeah. that she's bad but maybe you know get that experience under your belt you could you can only add to yourself and your credibility even more saying that though jamie hater would be a good shout like legit yeah. would be a really good shout a tony storm as well just making a say, tony storm going back over there for a bit be pretty cool as like a bridge mm. But uh, that so um, so there will be a, a women's match there. He has uh, Tony Khan has said that. But um, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens from now until the Forbidden Door show. How that's going to be advertised. How that's going to be weaved into weekly programming. Um, how that and how they're going to hype the event up. Um, for me, like, of course, you know, there's a load of matches we we want to love and we want to see. Of course, the big one for a lot of people probably is Punk versus Kenta. And I know for a fact that Kenta's probably been pushing New Japan right now to mm-hmm. make that match happen. <laughs> so who's got the best, the better GTS, the originator or the innovator? <laughs> uh, I mean, here's the thing. We're going to get... Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. as well. That's a match that people have been dying to see for the longest time. Yeah. So we're def- there's probably going to get that. But other li- other little things like I definitely want to see. I definitely want to see the juniors get their get their time in the spotlight. For yeah, Darkville. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I mean, if we're going to get like like Wheelie Yuta versus Taiji Ishimori as like an exhibition match, I'd be down yeah. for that. Yeah, no, I'm not mad at that at all. But yeah, it's it's good to see. It's good. It's genuinely good to see that something like a like a super card show like that get um, you know, get the numbers and the tickets, the pre ticket sales, uh, yeah. that they did. Uh, again, as before, we said recording, Dan. What you what you said is this a lesson in uh, in in ticket scalpers as well, or <laughs> a cautionary tale in ticket scalpers? Well, I was gonna say so. Like, obviously, part of what people have been going on. And let me just say, like, in the entire time this has been happening, there's been some takes. <laughs> my my per- my personal favorite being someone that was the guy that was using New Japan on Access TV for TV ratings. And I was like, yeah, but like most people who watch New Japan are just going to use New Japan World, which yeah. doesn't factor into TV ratings. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know this, but also, for example, a lot of people don't have access. <laughs> Just use New Japan World. It's just infinitely easier rather than waiting for a one-hour highlight show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I still can't believe people are using uh, TV, TV ratings. ratings. <laughs> Remember, the only people that TV ratings matter to are advertisers. It's nothing else. Yeah. yeah that is it. Um, that is it. <clears throat> but no. Um, basically, the, the take I've been seeing with people saying like, oh... How many of those, like, how many ticket sales are scalpers? And obviously, a bunch of tickets appeared on the resale market. <laughs> but I think this is less a point about like AEW versus WWE tribalism. It's never about tribalism. People just make it like that. Mm-hmm. And again, people who make it like that, stupid. It's literally pointless. It, yeah. does, it has zero benefit. It doesn't matter. It, it is literally matter. a zero value point. Yeah. But what it should be is it should be a point for the entire, well, A, for the ticketing industry, but also the entertainment industry as a wider being to really start making a crackdown on the resale market. Yeah. Um, and, to really dam- and to really damage people who engage in ticket scalping. Yeah. Speaking of someone who got scalped hard for Gorilla's tickets, they can go burn forever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I have no sympathy. <laughs> Zero. Because I because I know what the because in my head the way I've always said it is look I think if you're doing to if you're offering ticket resale tickets should only be able to be sold at face value yes plus the cost of postage yes I almost I remember one time I almost but I, got... but, but I know that like that even that concept would probably I would probably get me called a fucking socialist yeah. It's 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 just nuts. It's just nuts. I remember one time almost getting scalped in the triple figures for a for a Paramore ticket. So you know, never never well, trust that... scalpers. No, but it, it's stuff. It's stuff like when, um, I was. I mean, this was a couple years ago now. Um, I can't remember. What, it was when it was when Drake released one of his albums. Mm. <clears throat> um. And he, obviously, he was doing a show in the O2, and you know the fate the the face value on the tickets was something. You know, something it was something like ninety quid. Mm. But then they were set. They were the resale was like people selling, you know, the most basic tickets like two hundred eighty pounds. Damn. And that's just Drake. <laughs> and it's like uh, but but it's like you realize how you realize how bad it is and how bad it can get and obviously how much it damages people being able to attend concerts yeah yeah because it, re- it really makes it really makes a significant impact mm-hmm and obviously you know they try and do the whole like oh we have our own official resale avenues and stuff but it's like people are buying tickets and then just listing them immediately mm-hmm. for like well above face value <laughs> reminds me of that whole uh, nes classic debacle when people just pre-ordered it and then immediately put the sale up <laughs> the pre-order up that's on ebay I, that's the thing <laughs> god damn scalpers anyway <laughs> I have heard as well, just before we go on to other bits of news, uh, a lot of discourse talking about, well, this is only for a hardcore audience and, oh, WWE would never do this. Uh, they would never, like, oh, they wouldn't they wouldn't do this because they're so kind of, like, um, 
like within their own thing and stuff and i'm just like do people not realize that wwe have worked with companies for decades at this point <laughs> like they had a I relationship think, think, with new uh, japan in the early 80s for crying out loud look, I, I mean the thing the thing is right is that like wwe is almost at a point of like being so isolated and disconnected from it's the not even world. that it, it's WWE or like it likes to rewrite its history. Oh, oh god, yeah, revisionist. Oh, I mean, you like, all you have like, to do like is it, look at the WWE Network's documentaries. Like, like, like it, like it is heavily <laughs> revisionist. Um, but the the big thing is, people be like, "Oh, WWE would never do this," and it's like, well, yeah, because they don't have to. No exactly. one's no one's being there going like, oh, AEW New Japan have to do a show together. They could be there at the start of the company and go fuck New Japan, yeah, and just do nothing. But they don't. Mm. They haven't. You know, AEW could have been there and went, you know what? Actually, we're going to go join Cyberfight. Yeah, and be the US branch of Cyberfight and then formally incorporate with DDT and Noah and TJPW. Exactly. Like there's there's nothing stopping them from doing that. <laughs> like it, it again, it doesn't add any value to the discussion to be like, oh, WWE would never do this. And I'm like, yes, because WWE and AEW are companies that exist in the same space but fundamentally act differently. Mm. They have different plans and different goals. Yeah. Obviously, the aim is be the number one wrestling company in the US. But, like, they have different ways of going about it. They have different visions of what it is. And this is all stuff that I was probably going to be going on a fucking length about when um, I was invited to do another show. It didn't happen. It is what it is. But, like, these are two very, very different beings. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. The wholly different beasts, for damn sure, that cater... It's a, it's a very different audiences yeah, they, within that medium. Yeah, and they do. In 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 the same in the same way that like you know, um, how do how do I say this? So like when I was looking, okay, I know actually. I can use the example. Uh, I went to go see. I went to a concert in that was at Wembley Arena. Hmm. And the headline was Don Brocco. <laughs> but I didn't give a single crap about seeing them. Mm. I was there for the two bands on beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> and so it would be a kind of moot point to be like, oh, you know, like if you went to like, for example, Wireless, mm. and you were there and you went like, oh, why have they got this person? I'm like, because because you're at wireless, it caters to a certain audience. Mm. Mainly an audience of artists that are very well known and very popular around the area of London that, that wireless is based in. Yeah. It's... Like you don't go to what you don't go to wireless expecting Van Halen. <laughs> I mean, now that you said they're that... two they're two very different beasts. Now that you say that, I mean... Now you're starting to sound like a, a certain Gallagher who has drawn my ire forever since we've done his comments on that, but I get where you're coming from. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I will never not be bitter. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> 
Oh god. Um. So yeah, like I'm kind of excited that we're getting such like a like a like a big nice super show style ma- uh style card. I'm just excited for wrestling in general, man. It's been it's been good. I say that, but I can't really say much about Raw and SmackDown this week because for the go home shows, not a lot happened. Like genuinely, not a lot kind of happened. I mean, of course, th- there was you know the rumored that Roman Reigns would defend his title, and then that got k- kiboshed, and now we're getting a six man tag, which. I think is a way of WWE telling telling people that no seriously Roman isn't injured so much so we're going to put him in a six man tag match and let him not be a part of much of that match. <laughs> so he's definitely not injured. He's put definitely the not. in a six man tag. <laughs> definitely not injured. But I I can't read. There's not in terms of storyline progressions for the matches leading up to Backlash. There's not a hell of a lot going on. Not a hell of a lot, and that's kind of worrying. <laughs> I mean. In this, I mean, we've got all elite wrestling. Uh, Ram, uh, Dynamite and Rampage were pretty darn good this week. Um, we had quite a. I mean, I I will say we had finally we had we had Scorpio Sky do a promo on Rampage about time because the guy's bloody good was really good on the mic and we're getting yeah. Frankie Kazarian versus Scorpio Sky for the TNT title. Still can't believe that oh, even though he's being booed, uh, we're still getting kind of we're getting tween of Dan Lambert still. <laughs> How is this, again? How is this? We're living in the we're living in the reality or the dimension where Dad Lambert is ba- is 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 a tweener. Well, yeah, because they were doing the whole. I've seen people talking about the whole thing about the Sammy and Take on T storyline. Yeah, which is you know it is what it is, and it's like how bad do you have to fuck up to make Dan Lambert the babyface? <laughs> and obviously they went through that. We went through that. We went through the whole song and dance about like you know the promos that they were cutting and it's like mm. Scorpio's face but the rest of the group are heel <laughs> kind of technically and the how that messes everything up and now Sammy and Tay are like AAA mixed tag champions mm. and what and whatever it's, it's strange bad just... so like it's gotten like arguably needlessly complicated at this point <laughs> True. but honestly honestly the main thing for me is i'm just like look right sammy and tay i know what you're going for but like just just step aside for a second <laughs> just <Yeah>. stop stop <laughs> literally Ah, uh, so on Dynamite, we had a very good qualifying match in the Owen Men's Tournament: Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Fish. Like legit, uh, you two people you'd never thought would have met met, you know, and faced each other, but they had a b- blooming good match. Like, well, you know, I like what Je- Jeff, AW... Jeff, was, Jeff was there. Mm. You know, Jeff was there, and I believe may have even had a match with Owen in like the very early days. He's the only person in that tournament to actually have a match with Owen Hart. Yeah, and as we all know, Bobby Fish was there to help Stu Hart get his break into the business. So <laughs> he's not that old. <laughs> he's... All right, granted, he's forty-five. That man but is still... from eighteen ninety-six. You cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> he's forty-five decades old. All right, at this point. Yes. <laughs> no, honestly, a great match. But as I said to a lot of people, or I said on Twitter, actually, I'm not. 
against the people that are, that are in the tournament. But I kind of not infused about it, mostly because yeah. the Owen men's tournament, when it was, you know, the press release came out and it was announced, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to do a tournament with the future crop of like young crop of technical wrestlers to give them a platform and something to like vie for and then hopefully get that push into the like the mid like the upper mid card. I thought like that the the, the tournament itself and who it's named after is just that that's just a no brainer. See, that's the thing. I, I I mean, to be fair, though, as well, I can get the thing of it being like a tournament where they have lots of workhorse people. Mm hmm. Like, it is quite fitting as well, but I was really hoping it could be, like, a thing where we could, like, look to the final and be like, ooh, you know, just, just to throw out, like, an example, like, ooh, Lee Moriarty versus Josh Woods. That would have been great. Like, legit. Ooh, like, Wheeler Yuta versus Daniel Garcia. Ooh, <laughs> Daniel Garcia versus, like, Bobby Fish. Mm. You know, it could have been, it could have been a little bit different with how they went about it yeah i say dax harwood to win the whole thing yeah no dax harwood i mean to be to you know what to be fair i wouldn't be surprised if he was hitting um wrestler of the year lists <laughs> like ftr like legit are that are like then have been for a while but this year they went all guns blazing and they're now like legit <laughs> one of the best tag teams of the year yeah, no, but I'm 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 saying I reckon Dax could make a could make a, a push for some people's lists on his own. Yeah, because he's had some barnstormer of single matches already. Yeah, he's oh man, he has been on bloody good form. Uh, we had a great six man tag: the Blackball Combat Club versus the uh, versus AFO again. Yeah. it's just nice seeing Brian, John, and Utah absolutely decimating people. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice seeing Angelica return. I, see, I feel like I ain't seen him in forever. Exactly. Good to see W. Morrissey back. And, you know, in. Well, oh, dude's yoked. <laughs> a, in good spirits. He looks like he's recovered and looks absolutely well. He is. And B, he is jacked. He is yeah. jacked. That man is like seven foot one pure yoke. <laughs> Apparently, you can teach that. Yeah. Yes, the I'm still I'm still like undecided on like people from Impact going to AEW because mm. <laughs> it just seems like they turn up and then they lose. <laughs> true, true. Although I will say this, Wardlow winning this match gave us one of the greatest visuals I think I've ever seen. Wardlow completely steamrolling about twelve to fifteen security guards. <laughs> He steamrolled. He steamrolled the DPW roster. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, as I said, who in the hell had Wardlow as ace of AEW on their bingo card this year? Because <laughs> legit, Wardlow, I think maybe one of the is slowly becoming one of the most overacts in AEW. Look, people like big strong man. Yes. Big strong man, like we, even like, better. Like what we say, wrestling at times is not a complicated business. <laughs> this, and we're talking about the same guy who ended up having an MMA rules match with Jake Hager, which was awful. <laughs> so now we've gone from that to this is insane. 
Oh, um, and at the other Owen qualifying match in the main event, of well, the pre-main event, Ray Phoenix versus Dante Martin. Ah, oh, great match. It's just, it's just good lucha stuff, isn't it? You can definitely tell that there's there's somewhere there's like a twelve year old kid going, I want to be a wrestler now because I've seen that match. But this is like that's the thing though. I was like, this is literally just a match to just be like, what is the most ridiculous thing we can find out how to do? <laughs> Oh, and I, somehow Dante Martin still keeps finding ways to do it. Exactly, exactly. And it's it, it kills me inside that he is so young and so talented. <laughs> it kills me a little it bit. It kills inside. me that he does all that, and then my knees hurt after I walk upstairs. That's <laughs> not fair. It's not fair. Not at all. Uh, over on Rampage, we had uh, we had a great main event. Uh, Konosuke Takeshita versus Jay Lethal and Takeshita showing the world why he is so damn good <laughs> and so I'm good. so happy to see that he got you know he got such a positive reception from the crowd I liked how um, in like the pre-interview bit they made Takeshita look like a giant <laughs> <laughs> Compared compared to Jay Lethal, <laughs> yeah, it looked like a. <laughs> did you ever watch that UFC four highlights New Legacy did when they had, uh, Stefan oh, Struve versus Demetrius Johnson? Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it looked like. <laughs> like Takeshi's just there, just like looking huge, and then Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and then Satnam Singh are just like in their own box. <laughs> Looks great. Dude, like I said, though, Takeshita's so good. Like, having followed him over in DDT, mm. he's definitely been a victim of, obviously, the restrictions on crowds over there. Yeah. So seeing him back in uh, a ring with a crowd, you know, with fans to kind of feed off of, He's gone back right up to that really high ceiling that he's got. Yeah, uh, like legit him, Tetsuya Endo, and Yuki Ueno. Like those are the three guys or the three names you need to be looking out for in in Puro because they are legit and they have been for such a, a long time. The best kept secrets in Puro, and they yeah. will be. They, I, I guarantee you'll probably be hearing at least one of those names a lot more often now. Um, no, and the absolutely. fact that he's only and the fact that Takeshi is only twenty six as well, <laughs> and he's, I know, and he's but all it's that like level. Look, but then it's like you look over at um, TDT as well, and you've got like Hiroshima as well. Hiroshima's been like Hiroshima had one hell of a year last year. He single handedly carried the tag division on his own. <laughs> That's yeah. how good he is. So it's like you know, it, it, it's crazy that. Um, Takeshi is over in AEW right now, and DDT is just like, hmm, who should we pick? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who should who should we decide on? This is for this is disregarding the fact that they've just got Chris Brooks and Junaki Yama in the fucking pocket. Like, <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> I will keep saying it. And again, also Junaki Junaki Yama in AEW. We need it now. I'm we need saying- it. 
I'm going, I'll say it until I go purple in the face, Tony. Double or nothing, Eddie Kingston versus Junaki Armour. Do it, you fucking coward. Do it. <laughs> yes, do it, you coward. <laughs> but apart from all that, I think, you know, in terms of what I found in, like, in wrestling, not much else with that. I mean, Stu Grayson, unfortunately, um, leaving AEW as well. <laughs> yeah, it, and as he said with, um, as we said with... Roman's kind of semi-cryptic announcement of like wanting to start a new phase in life. Mm. Obviously, his his contract, I believe, comes up next year in April. Mm. So remains to be seen. It's you know, a shame because he, he just he just there and has a match with The Rock, and then it's just like, cool, I'm off, I'm off to make like Fast and Furious eleven. <laughs> Oh, Hobbs and Shaw three with Roman Reigns. I was gonna say, like, I was literally gonna say, it's like Hobbs and Shaw like six. <laughs> oh. He is both Hobbs and Shaw. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Apart from that, though, anything else with the news, Dan? Nah, I think that's it. Awesome, awesome stuff. Let's head on over to recommendation corner, Reardon. What do you have for us this week? How do you feel about Sam Raimi murdering people? Uh, Very good. It's the reason. Very good. It's the reason I wanted to become a filmmaker. Well, to my shock, you're in luck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because my recommendation is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. He said it. A movie. That pretty much bends the PG-13 rating as far as it can. Excellent. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I didn't, so I'm not a squeamish man. You guys know it. <laughs> yes. I've, I've watched all kinds of stuff. And stuff in my, in my, um, in my superhero fiction as well. But I gotta say, there are some moments in, in the new Doctor Strange movie that gave me pause. <laughs> like, like more like, wow, they just let him do this. They just straight up let him do this. It is a real, I imagine this is going to be a real love it or hate it kind of movie. But for us at the Sweet Chinwag, I think this is the kind of movie where we'd all dig it. We'd all dig it. <laughs> um, yes. Everyone in that movie is having a whale of a time, and you can tell. <laughs> and it goes to some places. <laughs> so, and that is all I'm going to say. The rest would be absolute spoilers. But I'm going to recommend it. Try it for yourself. If you hate it, well, then you hate it. I don't think, Sam, I don't think you're going to hate this movie. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't foresee this happening. Here's the thing. Doctor Strange is actually legit probably my favorite Marvel film. So I've been looking forward to this one for a little bit. Oh, that's it. It's very different from the first one. I I, say I, that and, well. and I'm happy about that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely legit happy about that. I'm looking forward to this. You've sold me on it alone. Just from your just from your uh, your your non-spoiler review. <laughs> there you go. Oh, so for me, I need to make a little little recommendation as well. I once again helped out with my dear friend Nova with another year in list. This time he talked about 2002 and I helped edit that video, the whole video, including the hype as heck title sequence um, of all of the songs from 2002 I could have picked. Of course, I went for the Junkie XL remix of A Little Less Conversation because, of course, 
the correct choice. <laughs> and so you can find that right now on Nova's channel over on YouTube, or you can f you can find him on Twitter at Nova's Exploder, and you'll be able to find that as the pinned tweet. That's my recommendation. And another recommendation: Patreon.com forward slash Sweet Chinwag. Come on, guys, we yes. need more. We need more. We need more patrons and more money to review the XFL. <laughs> It's Get gonna creep buddy. onto us like uh, one day it's gonna happen. I'm gonna be terrified. Yeah, we also have merch on Brainbuster Tees. Exactly, exactly. All of that good stuff you can you can help support the channel in any way, shape, or form. That's brain our merch store at, at Brainbuster Tees or Patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag you'll be able to get exclusive access one day early to episodes as well as an exclusive discord server and little previews of future video projects as well you can find that all on our patreon anyway it is time to get on to the main portion of this episode as we talk about the one and only cleaner the best bout machine scott carpenter sorry i meant kenny omega that was actually one of his ring names as well was scott carpenter <laughs> kenny oshmega kenny oshmega all right chaps it's safe to say when it comes to modern day professional wrestling the name kenny omega is synonymous with the industry everyone even if you're a, a casual fan or a hardcore wrestling fan, knows the name Kenny Omega. My question to you as we open this up. How did you first come to discover Kenny Omega? Reardon. Uh, I don't know when I really discovered him. It was more like everyone... I, it's like I got a, an email from like the, the wrestling hive mind going, by the way, here's the new... By the way, here's the new greatest wrestler alive. Okay, thanks. <laughs> here's the new hotness. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I watched, and I did, then I started watching his stuff, and I was like, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> Dan. So... Again, I'm not entirely... I'm not entirely sure when exactly... The first time I came across Kenny Omega was, um, because in my, to be honest, it was probably when I was watching some kind of bootleg clip compilation of wrestling that my cousin was showing me. <laughs> the first time I know that, um, I one hundred percent got introduced him was actually through the Golden Lovers. Hell yes. <laughs> That's the best way to get into to Kenny Omega is through the Golden um, Lovers. Because sometime around, I want to say, I think it was about 2010-ish, hmm. um, my, my cousins who are really into wrestling managed to like get stuff from new japan yeah so that was like the first time i'd seen i'd seen them and been like oh hello <laughs> <laughs> this is cool as shit <laughs> yeah yeah and that's probably uh, that is uh, why i kind of like is when i ever t i talk to people about how they discovered kenny omega that one of their very first reactions is this guy's fucking cool 
<laughs> but then you realise, as you know in board, that he's probably the biggest nerd in professional wrestling. <laughs> saying something. Which... I mean, it's like... The biggest weeb as well in professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, to be honest, it's always one of those things I've said, though, that like I do appreciate the fact that he is just compl- a complete unabashed nerd. Yes. And like he makes no effort to hide it. <laughs> then that's what makes me... And that's just like, you're waving the flag for all us nerds everywhere. Kenny, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's like what I said though, like it's a tiny, it's a tiny thing, but then me being there and growing up as a massive Final Fantasy nerd, and then seeing this guy as a wrestler, and then hearing them call like one winged angel, and I'm like, I know what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like I, I understood that, and. Hmm. Everyone's just like, playing. And just they're like, are you one of? Are you one of me? <laughs> is this one of me that meme with the butterfly <laughs> anyway let us get in right at the beginning tyson smith was born in winnipeg you idiot yes winnipeg manitoba in october 1983 uh grew up in transcona a winnipeg suburb <clears throat> His, his affinity towards professional wrestling began very early in his childhood when he and his and his dad would watch tapes of WWF's Saturday Night's main event, which would end up quickly becoming his favourite programme. Growing up, though, he had two interests, as all Canadians probably would at this time. If you, ha- if you loved professional wrestling as a Canadian, you had to love ice hockey as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but I just assume that's a Canadian thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I, 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 I don't, I don't know why, but of all the Canadian people I've met, they'll have like some of, they'll have like one main interest, and then the second one is always like, oh yeah, I just also keep up with ice hockey from time to time. <laughs> like even the ones I know that don't care about sports, they just like, yeah, well, I have an ice hockey team though. Mm. Maybe every Canadian person I've met is some kind of like caricature of what it's like to be Canadian, but but mind you, that is my personal experience. We're saying this, and I imagine Canadians are like, "What is the deal with with Britain and having a soccer team with like <laughs> like having so many soccer teams and so many kids growing up with football?" So I guess maybe you know, there's the comparison. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, ours is just be- ours is just because like. Here you go. You came to a wrestling podcast where you're getting football league history now, <laughs> because I know this. <laughs> um, it's because with all our teams, they were just founded by like just groups of people in an area. Yeah. So, like, obviously, every single area and like every single suburb had a team. Mm. That's why, like, up until like the 1950s, Clapham had a team. <laughs> and then obviously things have drastically changed now <laughs> true true because who would be oh no, no i'm not gonna make that joke <laughs> no nah, do it do it because <laughs> who in their right mind would have a football team and clap and there you go <laughs> correct <laughs> anyhow for five bonus points gentlemen what position did kenny play in in ice hockey I I want to say I want to say goalkeeper for some reason. I'm gonna go center. 
Ridden gets five points. Yes, Kenny was ah. a goalie. I knew it. I just, I just had that feeling. I just had that feeling. Uh, so, young Tyson Smith first became interested in pursuing a career in pro wrestling after one of his friends from, uh, from his days in college began training with a company in Winnipeg known as Top Rope Championship Wrestling. Now, at this time, he was playing, uh, still playing ice hockey as a goalie in high school. Quite a prolific career as a kid and as a teenager. But at that moment, he decided, you know what? I've always loved wrestling, and I want to give it a shot. So let's just try it and see what happens. We'll see, you know, give it a go. If it doesn't happen, I can always go back to ice hockey. So that's where... He began training at Top Rope Championship Wrestling with uh, and being trained by promoter of that company, a man named Bobby J. Actually, funny enough as well, uh, Kenny would also say that he was he did receive training, but it was more or less that he kind of self-trained himself for yeah. a long time in his career. I mean, uh, again, as I've heard from many people who have gone to wrestling schools, Actually, receiving training and attending the school are two very different things. <laughs> so, after receiving some tutelage at TRCW, a 16 year old uh, Tyson Smith would make his professional wrestling debut in 2000 and would wrestle for TRCW for two years, where he developed the gimmick of a Hawaiian surfer named Kenny Omega. Yes, he had a I don't surfer know why, gimmick. Kenny Omega doesn't give surfer. Yeah, that's like is that is that uh is that a surfer's legit name? No. I miss oh. uh, maybe it's like a play on Tommy Bahama, but then like Kenny Omega, Tommy Bahama. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't buy that's that. Stretch, I don't buy yeah. that. No, that's a real, real stretch. <laughs> I'm trying to justify it, but it's not working. <laughs> Surf's up, dude. But apparently, no, like it, it sounds so. It sounds bad when I say it, but I've always felt like Kenny Omega, isolated from the person, just sounds like someone's like edgy username. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this, uh, it was quickly dropped, but he and replaced it with a much with a gimmick much more suited to who the man really is uh, and and the character he's playing. It was an otaku influenced gimmick, and this is when he started wearing kind of like coming out to Doctor Wily Stage Two from Mega Man Two, and this awesome. is when he adopted uh, the the Hadouken as a uh, as a move. <laughs> Which, by the way, was especially when you're using it in Japan, was looked stiff as hell when he did Hadoukens. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, in 2001, he graduated from high school and enrolled in university, but eventually dropped out in his first year to fully pursue professional wrestling. So, in 2001, he would quickly uh, debut in another Winnipeg-based promotion known as Premier Championship Wrestling. He would go on to win the PCW Heavyweight Championship and the Tag Championships in 2003 and 4, respectively. During his time there, he would actually have a match with then-TNA X Division Champion P.T. Williams in an NWA anniversary show. This is one of his first big exposures to kind of like the wider world of professional wrestling. And for all intents and purposes, he did an okay job 
it wasn't a bad match from Kenny at all. He would go on to uh, win an eight-man tournament, defeating the likes of uh, names as, as Nate Hardy, Amazing Red, and Chris Saban to win the oh, premier wow. to win the premier cup and the NWA Canada X Division Championship. Bro, what? Oh, wait. Wait, was that a separate NWA title? That was a separate NWA championship. <laughs> so, this is where we get to about 2005, and Kenny makes an excursion to Harley Race's promotion, known as World League Wrestling, and received tutelage and training from Harley Race. Now, in September 2005, after having a match with a man named Keith Walker, Johnny Ace was in the crowd. <laughs> and and invited Kenny to a week-long tryout to the WWE. Now here is where we get to the sort of lesser known but yeah. still kind of um talked about history in Kenny's career, his time in WWE developmental. So, in October 2005, Kenny Omega signed a developmental deal and was sent and assigned to Deep South Wrestling. Now, if you know anything about Deep South Wrestling, it's probably one of the, well, probably one of the worst developmental uh, territories that WWE's say. ever had. Only lasted 18 OVW, months. OVW, this was not. This was absolutely not. Uh, it lasted all of 18 months. And the only person of note that it ever produced was Kofi Kingston and The Miz. Oh, and Heath Slater as well for a little for a little cup of coffee. <laughs> but like, yeah, but like with the Miz though, the whole thing was that he went through tough enough. Yes, the so million dollar being, tough enough. May I? <laughs> him being in Deep South doesn't mean anything. True, very true. <laughs> so it, here's where I unpack a lot of stuff. So Kenny, at this time, was being uh, was given uh, training. Um, by uh, the trainers over there, um, most notably Bob Holly, Dave Taylor, who he credits as the man who really sat him down and taught him the basic fundamentals and tightening up his skill set in dub uh, in his time there, and Bill Demont. Now, there's a lot that's been said about Bill's training methods over the years. Yes, and Kenny has been one of those f people that has been quite outspoken about Bill uh, in interviews and subsequent, you know, uh, when he talks about his time in Deep South Wrestling. Bill's training is um, not good, and yeah. it doesn't build character, if you ask me. It's very... To the point it's hazing, almost, and bullying at, at, at certain mm -hmm. points. Um, one of the times that Kenny... In, uh, talks about in in an interview is that the time that they when they were running drills of taking bumps and you know running the ropes uh bill would throw out very homophobic and racial slurs to certain wrestlers and there was one time when they ran a drill of i want you to go over the top rope and hit the guardrail and keep doing it uh which is kind of counterproductive because you can do it safely, but doing it over and over again is not safe. And in fact, as a matter of fact, uh, a number of people doing that drill got seriously injured. I wonder what could cause someone to get seriously injured by making them jump from height towards a steel rail. 
None at all. Apparently as well, though, when he started, Bill was kind of quite liked Kenny's work and kind of liked what he was doing. Um, Kenny said he was working like relentlessly hard uh, to the point where he kind of cut, lost a lot of weight and trimmed up. And Bill saw that and looked like he was working hard. And then a couple of weeks later, Kenny says, Bill just went off me. Kind of like I was almost like a foul smell at that point. And Bill yeah, did not like heard, me. Though, that's a quite that's just consistent with WWE. Mm. Yeah. But it's shortly because it was like because mm. um I know sorry this is a separate thing we we're talking about WWE developmental. Give me a second. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, talking about WWE developmental was obviously um. I was doing some reading on OVW recently. Mm. <laughs> and like, obviously, you know, it was run by Jim Cornette, the little, mm. but that he would send reports of talent that he thought were like best suited. Mm-hmm. And almost every single time they just completely ignored it. Yeah. And like, they'd have like whole lists of talents, like ranked based on their skill sets on who they would have. And then said, like, consistently, they would take the people in, like, second to last. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's stories I remember of OVW where, like, Nick Dinsmore was there and he was considered one of the, like, the best talents they had had in, like, for years. And then yeah. it was Nick that went off. I- I'm, I'm sick-, sick to death of this. Can you just give me the Eugene character? He pitched that to Vince and Vince loved it. Doug Basham was another guy that was talented. I was going to say, because I, I know that was one that I heard, that Doug Basham was there, and like they were like, no, he is the number one guy here. You need to get him. And then in the selection that they expected him to go, they took Mark Jindrak. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. It, and, they was like, and they were like, Jindrak was like third to last on the list. You know what's crazy? In the time in Deep South Wrestling, right, of all the talent they had, apparently Kenny was quite popular uh with the crowds in deep south you know you had guys like Heath slater as well he had a, if you've seen it he didn't have it yeah he, he had a really good match with Heath slater in his time in deep south wrestling he also you know we had kofi kingston who was really over the crowd he had the miz paul mccannon was the one that wwe wanted and then they didn't make him Wait. wrestle he became a tv executive uh, oh what yeah like, no lie, Insta- he became a, an in-storyline TV executive. This is what I mean. Like, I just feel like I'm just never going to understand the thought process. Oh, they also had Sonny Siaki for a little bit of time as well. <laughs> oh, shout out Sonny Siaki. <laughs> Sonny, this don't is, look this at is my po- this, is, this is post-TNA? This is post-TNA, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, what a guy Sonny Siaki. <laughs> but, the uh, rock light <laughs> the rock light uh, but after kind of not liking the system and not kind of having any sort of kind of enjoyment uh, and positive vibes about it Kenny asked for his release and it was granted in August of 2006 and of course as I said Omega had you know later on had stated he did not like his time his, his experience was quite poor and, you know, criticised Bill DeMott, uh, owner yeah. Jody Hamilton, and Bob Holly. But, as I said, he he had nothing but praise for Dave Taylor, which is kind of a very similar thing to a lot of people. They say that, like, Dave Taylor is an underrated dude because 
Mm. He knows the fundamentals inside and out. Um, would you like believe it though? Is after his release from WWE, Kenny was kind of really disheartened. You know, this is like the big leagues. You know, WWE was the only kind of game, legit game in town if you wanted to make money in, in in wrestling. He was so disheartened by his experience that he did not want to wrestle ever again. As a matter of fact, yeah. Kenny wanted to forge a career in mixed martial arts. And as a matter of fact, he ent- he started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. As a matter of oh. fact, he entered in several tournaments, amateur tournaments, and won several amateur tournaments nice. in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he was fully intent on not wrestling ever again. He also he had a couple of bookings uh, in Winnipeg, um, but after that, he was not wanting to wrestle again. But it was actually one match in particular that kind of that kind of changed him his his mind on it, and it was Kenny Omega versus AJ Styles. And they I tore mean, the yeah, roof that, down. That's fair. Yeah, but, I, I, that's the. Um, I know the match you. I know the match you're talking about. Mm. Uh, I can't actually, remember where it was, but it, it was actually in the Kenny Omega documentary that came out a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, but uh, after the after the match, uh, AJ cut, uh, you know grabbed the mic and told him, "You're a future prospect," and that was kind of the motivation that Kenny needed to keep going. And as a matter of fact, that was when he decided to just, you know what, double down, double down on what I like, double down on this otaku gimmick, and just add more video game moves to my repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> So this is when he started using even more Street Fighter moves. <laughs> and then eventually, as he carried on, he ended up uh, making an excursion to Jersey All Pro Wrestling. He won their heavyweight championship by defeating Low Key and then retained his title against Frankie Kazarian in a, in a, nice. in a couple of great matches and eventually would lose the championship to Jay Lethal at, the Jer- at Jersey City Rumble in 2009. Bloody good match, by the way. Highly recommend you watching that. So, with all this time, all this time, Kenny wanted to do one thing in particular, and that is to try his hand in Japan. As a matter of fact, the reason he wanted to go to Japan so much is that he was watching videos of a certain Japanese wrestler called Kota Ubushi. Yeah, <laughs> doing silly stuff like 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 throwing himself and doing moonsaults over all sorts of things, vending machines, carts, trees, buildings. <laughs> the video of that Kota Bushi match in the UK, where he sets off a firework while standing on a car, is genuinely wrestling heritage. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. So. Kenny, in his infinite wisdom, decided, screw this, I'm going to upload videos of myself having a DDT-style match to YouTube. In the hopes that it would actually interest Ibushi into working with him. (laughs) After after seeing the videos, DDT Pro decided, we're bringing this weird Canadian over to Japan to wrestle Kosa Ibushi. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to be there and just go... Look, I know this is a dumbass idea, but like, consider the following: <laughs> it might work. <laughs> and 
lo and behold, they had one hell of a bloody match. <laughs> they had never met before. They'd only met on the day of the event, went through the match and decided, you know what, let's just go... Look, we'll play on a couple of things out here and there, but let's just go silly. Let's just yeah. go silly. This is also Kenny's first time ever in Japan as well. And... Thus, they had an amazing match, realized that they had something really special with one another, that they could really do some off-the-wall stuff, something really kind of different in the world of pro wrestling. And that's when they decided to form a bond and a friendship that would eventually, of course, become the tag team we all know and love as the Golden Lovers. Now... I'm only going to briefly touch upon the Golden Lovers because the yeah. story of them, uh, of the two guys in and out of the ring, as well as the storyline that's kind of that, uh, that that you know weaves in almost multiple promotions, is in itself something that we need to discuss in a full episode. Yeah, it kind of it can take its own full episode to do. Because uh, there's a part of me as well that makes me think. That we haven't seen the last of the Golden Lovers just yet. No, I don't think we have just yet. Yeah, that's gonna happen again. Like... <laughs> so, <laughs> this is when Kenny starts making regular appearances in DDT Pro and actually ends up becoming a regular there, so much so that he ends up deciding it's kind of almost semi permanently moved to Japan starts to learn the language, starts to take more bookings within Japan, and starts to become one of the best gaijins in DDT Pro. Now, this is where we get to a very, very weird kind of stopgap in, in Kenny's career. It's 2011, and Kenny Omega decides to compete in a match against a nine-year-old girl named Haruka. Now, yes. <laughs> I imagine we've seen this video in question on YouTube of Kenny facing off against the nine-year-old girl. But okay. may I give you the context to why this was... Oh, absolutely. Please, now, yeah, this was please. part of a Japanese TV show where, a, where the girl Haruka wanted to have her dream and a wish come true. Her wish was to become a professional wrestler and have a wrestling match. And so it was decided that Kenny was probably the safest person to do it. And you know what? I would say, yeah, if I was to have a wrestling match with a fully grown wrestler, I would probably say Kenny's probably the safest one. To have okay, because can can I can I use it to talk about this? Because it's come up so it comes up so many times in wrestling discourse, and I just want to say it here mm. because I have it when I talk to people about like DDT Pro. Okay, mm. when Japanese companies decide to do these to do this stuff, like for example, Kota Bushi versus Yoshihiko. Mm. Chris Brooks versus Pokotan. <laughs> <laughs> Any amount of like strange Japanese matches that you will get. Like, um I don't know, like when they did like the Minor they did have like Minoru Suzuki versus Kikutaro, mm. right? When they organize those matches, they pick the people in them because they know they are good enough and they know they are safe enough. Yeah. And no shit being given those matches is like a point of honor. Yeah, exactly. 
it is literally a thing of them being like, you are, because it's like we have the phrase, right? They could they could wrestle a broom for sixty minutes. <laughs> it's that, but in practical form. Yeah, it is them saying like, you are so good, and we reckon we trust you enough that you are safe enough that you can literally work with a thing that is unable to work with you. Mm-hmm. So like. Literally, him doing this match for this TV show is literally DDT being like, no, you are so safe, we can trust you to be put in there with a nine-year-old child and not have anything go wrong. By the way, Haruka had one hell of a head scissors. I'm just saying. Yes! (laughs) Yes! So, as is always the case... um. I guess with wrestling, uh, with wrestling, pe- with wrestling peeps online, it receives a lot of polarizing responses. But it did make international news as well. Um, but a lot of the polarizing responses also ended up with Kenny, and for some reason, the girl having death threats. Yeah, but it, it, it again, it's that whole thing of yeah, it, it's that whole thing of. People get again. It kind of goes back to the same discourse, mm-hmm. which is people become obsessed with the form, and they're like, "This is ruining the business." And I'm like, "Nah, this is just Japan being Japan." Like, <laughs> true. Like true. this is just that. This is just them doing their stuff. Like you're like if you like you're just talking about like, oh, this is exposing the business, my guy. Like I'm <laughs> sorry, we've been we. My brother in Christ, we're in like 2008 by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although, I will say this, it, it, Kenny did receive a lot of praise as well. As a matter of fact, one of the bigger names to actually give him give him props for it was Mick Foley. I'm sure. Who praised him for being such a bloody good heel during the match and asked, why is he not on national television at this point? See? See, Mick gets it, man. He's yeah. But no, I believe that match is still on YouTube. But uh, Kenny has stated oh, yeah. in later interviews that, of course, you know, he wouldn't have been picked if he wasn't safe. But DDT trusted him as he was one of the safest people in the roster. And that he himself personally trained Haruka and said, I wouldn't have let her do anything that she didn't want to do or that if it hurt her or put her in harm's way. So it's not like he was out there to, like, do seriously, serious bodily harm to a child. Like, he wasn't going to be... Do- I don't know what white people expect him to have, like, a fucking 90s All Japan match with her or something, like... <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting him to throw Masawa elbows or drop her on his, just, on just her like, head. Like, I don't know, I don't know what you're... I don't know what you're expecting. <laughs> <laughs> And also the fact of it's DDT. They're silly. That's been established from the start. They've had a death match in an office that's been set up in the ring. Yes. Yes. <sighs> like, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it was with DDT Pro, though, that Kenny would see a lot of his first successes in his career. Like, well-known successes he would end up becoming a world junior heavyweight champion 
He would also defeat El Generico to become the KOD Openweight Champion. A very good match, by the way. Uh, I wonder what ever happened to El Generico. Oh, no, wait, he's still in the uh, orphanage yeah, in, uh, he's still, in Tijuana, he's still, isn't he? still um, in the orphanage of Mexico. <laughs> he would also um, unif uh, unify the, uh, the uh, KOD and DDT Extreme Championships in a title versus title match against Asami Kadoka. He would lose the KOD Openweight Championship to Shigehiro uh, uh, Irei in 2013. Yeah and would uh, win the KOD six-man tag champion uh, championships uh, as the Golden Lovers, uh, t uh, uh, along with Gota Ahashi, defeating Yuji Hino, Antonio Honda, and Daisuke Suzuki. He would also, at that time as well, um, end up uh, having a run with the KOD tag titles with Kota Ibushi in a uh, really good uh, match, a three-way tag match with... Um, Kadoka and Yuko Miyamoto versus Konosuke Takeshita and Tetsuya Endo. A very good match in 2014, as a matter of fact, if you go out to yeah. find it. Um, but it was during his time in DDT that he would start making his first excursions to America and actually set up base and home in Pro Wrestling Gorilla. He would make his debut for PWG in the 2008 Battle of Los Angeles, where he would actually lose in the first round by local talent Brandon Bonham. The next night, though, he would be in the three-way tag match in which... <laughs> oh, gosh. In, in, a, in a spot that's become quite infamous, where he was Irish whipped into the ropes by Davy Richards... Only for the yes. force of Kenny to hit the ropes, snapped the middle and bottom ropes, and threw Kenny out of the ring. Yeah, it is, it is crazy. Like he hit those ropes, and the ropes went, "Nah, I'm not, I'm not taking you." <laughs> See that, ya. One, that one worked for me, brother. <laughs> uh, he would end up returning to the promotion. Um, to, <laughs> in a match against El Generico. Uh, Oh. And this was during the time that Kenny decided to do what the Bucks were doing and abuse referee Rick Knox. And Rick Knox finally had enough and leapt off the top rope and hit Kenny Omega with a leaping clothesline. <laughs> and in 2009, on, on the April 12th PWG show, which would end up being their 100th and a, uh, show, he would end up having a fantastic match against Brian Danielson. Actually... It, the match actually started off with Kenny and Brian square dancing. That shows you how good this match was. That like that's like the most PWG thing you could have described to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, in 2009 he would enter that year's Battle of Los Angeles, which was uh, this tournament uh, was quite notable for being um, contesting or all the competitors contesting for the PWG Championship. He yeah. would end up defeating Kevin Steen, Scott Lost, and <clears throat> yeah, we don't talk about the other guy. <laughs> and redacted. <laughs> and redacted in the first quarter and semifinals. He would then defeat Roderick Strong in the finals to become PWG World Champion. He would eventually end up in 2010, in February 2010, losing the championship to Davey Richards in his first defense. He would kind of dip in and out of PWG soon afterwards, returning in 2012 to team with El Generico, defeating the Young Bucks. 
and eventually would end up competing in the 2014 Battle of Los Angeles, advancing all the way to the semi-finals until he was eliminated by eventual winner of the tournament, Ricochet. Oh, remember a time when Ricochet was a big deal? Yes. <laughs> His last appearance at actually for PWG would end up being in 2017 at the Battle of Los Angeles, teaming with the Young Bucks to defeat the team of Flamita, Penta and Ray Phoenix in a great six-man tag match. This brings us to a, a big chapter in Kenny's career, New Japan and Ring of Honor. Let's go back to 2008, where Kenny would start appearing for Ring of Honor. Uh, uh, in his debut match, would end up losing to Delirious in Toronto. He would end up... Going here, there, and everywhere, having matches with guys like Jay Briscoe, Austin Aries, Roderick Strong in a four-corner survival match. He would also end up having great matches with guys like Chris Hero and Austin Aries. And eventually, through this, at Final Battle 2009, he competed in another four-corner survival match, uh, eventually being eliminated by the winner, Claudio Castagnoli. This would be the first time, although in 2010, this is when he would start going, regularly appearing for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Not as an active member of the roster, but as a representative of DDT Pro Wrestling, as well as a little as a little uh, kind of uh, association with Ring of Honor. His first match in September 2010 would be in a losing effort to then IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Prince Devitt. I wonder what happened to Prince Hell Devitt. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's somewhere. This would end up actually being a, a, a match that put Kenny on the map. Uh, not only for kind of getting new eyes into DDT Pro, but a lot of people in the audience were really impressed by Kenny, just how quick and agile Kenny was. And looked, and the way it was booked, looked like Kenny could actually steal a victory from Devitt. Alas, mm. it was not meant to be. <laughs> And on the, uh, I mean, that, at that time, Devitt was playing red hot. He was absolutely red hot. On October the 11th, 2010, at the Destruction 10 pay-per-view, the Golden Lovers would be invited to take on <laughs> take on Apollo 55, the team of Prince yep. Devitt and Rosuke Taguchi. In a surprising turn of events, the Golden Lovers contracted DDT wrestlers would win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships. And this, I believe, was the moment where Devitt turned on Taguchi and then, yeah, declared, so. and then declared that he is now the real rock and roller and soon after would form the Bullet Club. But we'll get back to Bullet Club in a, in a moment. Yeah. In, in 2011, in a joint crossover show between New Japan and CMLL, the Golden Lovers would end up losing their titles back. Actually, no. No, 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 no. That was no. the sowing the seeds. It would be Apollo 55. Oh, no, because it was after that. that and then, sorry, that was my that was my mistake on my part. That's me typing stuff wrong? mixed up. Yeah, that oh is my, my stuff God. getting mixed up. No, that would be, it was Apollo 55. And then soon after that, that was when Devitt turned because they would end up having another match against the Golden Lovers. That is my apologies, uh, fellas. My, I'm so sorry. It's okay, we corrected it out. <laughs> it was also during this time as well that they, that when he would make regular appearances for New Japan, that he also competed in the 2010 and 2011 Best of Super Juniors tournament. Now, when Kenny returned to New Japan in 2013 to take part in the 2013 Best of Super Juniors, 
He managed to win five of his eight round-robin match, uh, matches, advancing to the semi-finals of the tournament. There, again, he was beaten by Devitt. And this is when we get Bullet Club uh, Prince Devitt. Now, yeah. the storyline had to be kind of been forming with Kenny and Prince Devitt, that he can't quite get Devitt's number and that there's no way that he could possibly ever defeat him. It was actually after this match um, that uh, Kenny would kind of be the uh, whipping boy and be beaten down <laughs> by Bullet yeah. Club. And the, signif uh, the significant moment, of course, at the end was uh, doing the, the gun, the Bullet Club kind of hand finger salute to a prone Kenny Omega. That ate Kenny up inside a little bit. <laughs> but we get to that eventually. In 2014, though, he took part in the next year's Best of Super Juniors tournament. Uh, he was the one uh, to actually... He finished it with a record three wins and four losses. So not as good as he did last year. No. But he did... And, uh, well, he ended up losing, actually, in the quarterfinals to Tai Chi, funny enough. Uh, yeah. Costing him. But it was with all of this... And this 2014 Best of Super Juniors that uh, Kenny uh, signed a deal to become a full-time member of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He would dub himself as the cleaner and through this actually made his debut as a full-time New Japan roster member by aligning himself with the Bullet Club. Now, how did this come about? Well, storyline-wise... Being constantly beaten up by Bullet Club kind of was... He was getting kind of pissed off with it and decided that if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> I mean, look, right, it's a solid strategy. Yeah. I can't argue I can't argue with that, to be quite honest. Now, his storyline reason during like the press conference when New Japan kind of unveiled Kenny to the world was that he didn't want to join Bullet Club because he didn't consider himself a gaijin at this time. He was kind of almost full-time living in Japan at this point. But that was kind just of like rolls a... up, just rolls up to them and just like, look, man, I'll, I'll just pay you to stop beating my ass up, right? <laughs> <laughs> just let me live. <laughs> and it was soon after this, in his first appearance at Wrestle Kingdom, at Wrestle Kingdom Nine in 2015, he would end up winning the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship for Ryusuke Taguchi. He would retain the title over to Gucci in a rematch at the New Beginning. In February, and in the following months, he would he would defend the title successfully against Mascara Dorada in Invasion Attack, and against Ash Alex Shelley at Wrestling Dontaku 2015. Kenny Omega would eventually lose the title to Kushida at Dominion 7.5 in Osaka Joe Hole in July the 5th. And he would regain that title from Kushida in September. And this is where we start to get kind of the great rivalry between these two that would eventually culminate at Wrestle Kingdom 10 in the Tokyo Dome. Which, by the I way, an underrated... I need to go back and watch that Alex Shelley match. It's a great match, by the way. Um, the, an underrated match in the Wrestle, King, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 10 card because, of course, we in that card, we had AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah oh, good. what could have been? <laughs> what could have been? And of course, we also had the amazing Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii match for the Never Open Weight Championship. Honest to goodness. That's right? why I keep saying, right? <laughs> Shibata turned the Never Open Weight title in the fuck a dude up championship. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what his job was. It was just a. It was just an excuse to see two people beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> 
So, oh man, here we go. Here we go. Here's where we go down the line. So, as we all know, the day after uh, it was announced that AJ, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, and Shinsuke Nakamura have decided to not renew their agreements and deals with New Japan and decided to take a stab at this up-and-coming new company known as World Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> In storyline, AJ Styles at New, Year, New Year's Dash um, was beaten up by Bullet Club and his, his leadership was usurped by Kenny Omega. Kenny became the brand new de facto leader of Bullet Club. And this is where we get Kenny Omega being bloody world dominator in New Japan. <laughs> he would end up winning the Intercontinental Championship in February against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, along with the Young Bucks, <laughs> he would end up yes. winning the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Championships from the Briscoe mm -hmm. Brothers and Toriano. What a team that is. The Briscoes and Toriano. Why don't I remember that? <laughs> I think we just all forgot about it. I was going to say, that sounds horrifically cursed. <laughs> but this would be the... Uh, that, that match, actually, would signify the debut of a subgroup of the Bullet Club known as the Elite. Uh, I want, again, that sounds like they could be quite successful. I wonder what happened to the Elite. Perhaps. <laughs> Uh, he would end up in that same month again becoming uh, becoming a regular competitor for Ring of Honor, making excursions over to America and back to Japan whenever Ring of Honor had a show in Japan or whenever there was a crossover show for New Japan and Ring of Honor in America. He would hold on to the Intercontinental Championship for a little, little time, eventually losing it uh, on June the 19th at Dominion in a ladder match, New Japan's very first ladder match against Michael Elgin, of all people. Oh, no. <laughs> and eventually on July the 3rd would lose, along with the Elite, the Openweight Sixth Man Tag Titles to Matt Seidel, Ricochet, and Satoshi Kojima. Again, that's what quite a team, isn't it? <laughs> what a pairing this brings us to the 2016 g1 climax kind of like the um the, the one of the crowning moments in kenny's career as he now starts to solidify himself as a main eventer in new japan after steamrolling through every competitor he would eventually end up defeating hiroki goto in the finals and earn an opportunity to compete for the iwgp heavyweight championship not only, right, did Kenny win this in his first attempt, oh, something wow. that had never uh, something that had never happened, but he also became the very first non-Japanese winner of the G1 climax. They that, were just like, "Look, man, we 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 know what's up here. Yeah, we're just we're just we doing it. Grew it. Let's just do it." <laughs> That would eventually, of course, lead us to Wrestle Kingdom 11 in January 4th, 2017, and one hell of a match against IWGP heavyweight champion Kazuchika Okada. In a losing effort, though, he would not he not win the championship, but at 46 minutes and 45 seconds was the longest match in the January 4th Tokyo Dome shows. And it, in all intents and purposes, became one of the most talked about matches 
of quite some time. <laughs> oh yeah. How do you feel knowing that then that record got broken by a match which consequentially meant nothing? It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so this would begin a trilogy of matches that are still held in quite high regard. Um, maybe I would, to a point, I would say it's kind of got a bit overblown. Uh, it's kind of stature on the internet, I would say. But going out and watching them still, they are not bad matches at all. Um, and they, I feel they stand on their own as a bloody good set of trilogy of matches. Not, but I, you know, maybe not the greatest trilogy of matches of all time, but definitely up there. And if you want to argue like a trilogy of matches between two wrestlers, it definitely has yeah. an It stakes its claim to try and be up there for darn sure. Of course, the wrestling world imploded when Dave Meltzer gave the first match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom 11 six stars out of five. Uh, he stated that they that Okada and Omega may have put on the greatest match in pro wrestling history, uh, but it was also praised by a hell of a lot of people in the wrestling industry, most notably uh, Daniel Bryan, Mick Foley, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stone Cold sitting there watching a forty-five minute New Japan main event. I love it. You know, it's kind of funny. That I forget honestly that how much of a, how much of a technical wrestler he used he used to be. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, forget. but it's like it's like the law we got recently, which is that apparently old plays Legend of Zelda. <laughs> yes, that's incredible. That's in, that's an. Incredible... I never thought I'd hear the words "Breath of the Wild" coming out of Austin's mouth, but yet here we are. This is what I mean. Like this is the law that we got. <laughs> so. During this time, um, he would end up coming back after having a little bit of a break um, in February and would end up uh, in the June 11th Dominion show going up in a second effort uh, against Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. This one, though, ended up in a 60-minute time limit draw. Again, a lot of people really liked this match. It wasn't a bad match at all, by all intents and purposes, um, but um, not as good as the first one. Although Dave decided to give this one six and one quarter stars. <laughs> some you know, just it'd be like that, you know. So Kenny wouldn't be part of the main event picture for, or wouldn't go up against Omega Okada uh, uh, for quite a little bit of time. But during that time, he would end up becoming the inaugural winner of the IWGP United States Championship. Which, by the way, is probably one of the, one of my favourite like United States title designs. Like it's yes. really, I've always liked the the design of the of that yeah, United no, States I like, title. I like the IWGP US. Um, he he would end up uh, winning that in a in a uh, eight man tournament uh, at the G one special in US in USA uh, event. Uh, I think it was one of the very first kind of like big events that they had in America. Uh, that wasn't kind of a super card for, for New Japan. And of course, this was to kind of promote that they were kind of expanding into the US market, hopefully, but you know, becoming having more like New Japan shows in America and eventually yeah. opening a New Japan of America promotion, which of course would end up becoming uh, NJPW strong. strong. Uh, but is, am I right in saying that Filthy Tom Lawler is still the New Japan Strong champion? Sorry? I I think Filthy Tom Lawler. Yeah, he's the like the New Japan Strong Open Weight Champion. That's the one. Yeah, whatever it's called. <laughs> he would eventually uh, go back and try to become um, 
the uh, well, one of very few people to try and win back-to-back -back G1 climaxes. He would eventually get to the final though, but he was eventually defeated by Tetsuya Naito. Good decision in my, if you ask me, because Tetsuya Naito finally got his uh, his uh, yes. Tokyo Dome main event. Absolutely, absolutely the right the right choice. But that didn't mean that Kenny Omega wasn't going to get a high profile match at Wrestle Kingdom. No, as a matter of fact, who decided to kind of call Kenny Omega out in probably one of the biggest surprises in wrestling at that time, Chris Jericho called out Kenny Omega <laughs> and demanded a match with him at Wrestle Kingdom 12. The biggest reason why this was a, such a shock is that Chris Jericho was a WWE contracted wrestler. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I watched Wrestle Kingdom 12 live as is, and it wasn't a bad match at all. Although it was actually a really good match, and then I realize, and then I kind of, kind of realize upon future viewing that it's like that was a really good match, probably one of Jericho's best matches in years. And I realized that a he was working the WWE. He's been the reason why it was so good is that a he didn't need to work the WWE style, and I kind of was kind of carried by Kenny in a little bit of that match. <laughs> he was, uh, he was. Not, I mean, I've watched, I've watched that match, and I've watched it back in time since. <laughs> And I think separate from the initial shock of like, oh my God, what the hell is Chris Jericho doing in New Japan Pro Wrestling? Mm. Kind of isolated from that, I've kind of gone back and watched it and go, man, Kenny's really putting in work here. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, of course, was for the United States Championship, although Omega would end up losing that title later in the month in January to Jay White at the New Beginning pay-per-view. After that, though, Bullet Club... Uh, Bullet Club dissension was in the ranks. Of course, this gave us the Bullet Club is fine meme. <laughs> and eventually that, of course, would end up with Kenny kind of kind of being almost usurped from Bullet Club, but not really. But of course, he would yeah. end up being saved by his long-time friend, Kota Ibushi, and the, reunite and the reunion of the Golden Lovers ensued. Now, this brings us to Dominion 6.9 in Osaka Joe Hall. It's 2018. Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada in a best two out of three falls match with no time limit. And this finally was the time that Kenny had Okada's number and he would end up becoming IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This is not a bad match, actually, oh, no, for, for, in all fairness. I quite enjoyed this match and I think kind of like the mm -hmm. storyline going into it as well. Um, is that this is Omega's last chance at this. And if he doesn't do it, then there's no chance he could possibly ever be champion. And they really played on that storyline quite well throughout the match. Um, again, you know, a lot of people probably say it went on for way too long. I tend to agree with that. It's a very intense match to watch. And yes. when I say intense, I mean probably more like intensive. Yes. Exactly. Like, it isn't. It it is a really good match, but it is like, uh, it is at times it feels like like a psychological effort. Mm. It is. It is. It is an effort to go through. It's a bit of a slog. Not gonna lie, but if you watch the trilogy of matches, kind of like together as like a as like a big pack package, 
kind of like you know if you say if you watch like the extended editions of lord of the rings then i guess you can find the enjoyment out of it mm. That's for sure. <laughs> of course this means now kenny's one of the biggest names in new japan pro wrestling being the one one of the very few gaijin at that uh in a very long time to actually hold the title um i'm not counting brock lesnar or kurt angle because that was igf and i'm sure as hell trying not to count bob sapp as a huge gaijin enoki <laughs> <laughs> um, is watching you look all right i know i, I do love enokiism but bob sapp come on <laughs> come on scott norton was the much better iwgp champion <laughs> all right let's not be let's not be let's not be completely off the rails <laughs> of course this also coincides with kenny being champion about the implosion of the bullet club and the splintering of the ogs to then uh to the re- to the rest of the members who would then go on to bullet form club the stable. wolf pack bullet, cl- bullet club wolf pack and bullet club elite there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course then this would give us a very kind of special kind of thing that happened over in america so on twitter someone said to dave Meltzer, do you think ring of honor could ever sell 10,000 seater arena uh to which dave Meltzer said pretty much said no to then which then bullet club member cody rhodes said all right challenge accepted and so in september 2018 we got all in <laughs> I love how so much stuff now just happens because someone says something to someone on Twitter and then the person just responds, I bet. No, that's, um, you know, actually, Dan, I disagree. I think a good good heaping of the world's problems today is because people keep doing that. <laughs> no, but, like, it, it, I find it impressive that, like, in essence, you could boil down the creation of AEW to just Cody Rhodes being like, I bet. Mm. I'm not denying that social media causes massive problems. <laughs> but on on the other hand, it does give us AEW. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's, that's true. fair. But... Omega would end up having a marquee match on that event, of course, uh, facing off against Penta. Uh, this would see them reignite, also be the reignition uh, of Kenny and Chris Jericho's feud. Uh, and eventually it, would, it was revealed that uh, the uh, all of the elites were actually... Um, uh, not re-signing with New Japan at this time because they uh, formed a bond and friendship with a uh, with a uh, sp- uh, with sports owner and dirty billionaire billionaire because all billionaires are dirty and don't deserve all that money. Yes, Tony Khan, correct. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and rumors were starting to go around to that maybe because of this how successful this all in was, maybe there might be a new promotion coming about. Now, here's when we started hearing, of course, of course, the massive rumours of WWE trying to force these guys into the contracts because they do not want another promotion coming in of their monopoly. Now, of course, with this announcement that they were no longer or they're no longer going to re-sign or be a part of New Japan, this meant that Kenny's last match would be at Wrestle Kingdom 13. And he would go up against Hiroshi Chanahashi in a fairly decent match, actually. Quite enjoyed yes. this one. Uh, again, maybe I kind of enjoyed it because Kenny came out to uh, Field of Hopes and Dreams from Undertale because, you know, yes. he's a big nerd. And, of yes. course, Kenny Omega's best friends with Toby Fox. I mean, it makes oh, sense, Oh, yeah, but, like, it? that's just the most Kenny Omega thing possible. <laughs> like, you could, you could have told me so many different things about it and i would firmly believe that 
that was the way things were meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it, it's just such a such a weird kind of visual to see as well. But also, I mean, like, look, right? Because we we can we can talk we can talk about it. But I I shit you not. So many of my friends who watch and engage with wrestling the first time they ever heard about kenny omega was when he did his fucking sans megalovania entrance yes yep it's which i've oh. heard too many people sing that sam so so i can't like watch that <laughs> clip anymore stop it stop it enough this is why this is what i mean right so i'm like it of course, Kenny Omega would enter the fucking field of hopes and dreams. <laughs> like legit, like if like when Delta Root gets the full release, what's the betting that like Kenny uses like Delta Root? <laughs> I probably probably will. He's probably got the inside hookup from Toby to get the entire soundtrack. Exactly. Exactly. And permission to use it. So yeah, this is where we get to the kind of the final chapter. This is where we get to AEW and. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go fully into it, but um, but man, man, what can we say, man, about AEW? It came like, with the rumors have been swirling around for a very, very long time in 2018, going in, oh sorry, going into 2019, I should say, after he had left New uh, New Japan, we'd kept hearing that the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars is expressing a lot of interest in starting his own company. We'd had the rumors that Triple H had been schmoozing with the elite to try and get them over. And like he would, they were offering them like big money deals with uh, like, with like lucrative creative control, something that rarely happens in a WWE contract, anything they could try and do to kind of get them into the, into a WWE. But I, from what I've heard, and you know what the Bucks had said in their autobiography, Tony offered them kind of a really kind of unique opportunity to do something that had not been done in quite a long time. So the offer there was just kind of almost too good to be true. Yeah, uh, and that's when, of course, we get all elite wrestling. Uh, Omega signed a four-year contract with uh, with AEW. And and now has served as executive vice president of the promotion, as well as uh, one of the heads at AEW Games, and uh, all around creative dude, and he- one of the head kind of creatives in the women's division. But at the start, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true nowadays. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's where we get Kenny. I mean, of course, Kenny would end up um, starting out uh, at Double or Nothing. Uh, where he uh, lost to Chris Jericho in the main event. And, of course, that saw the debut of John Moxley. That would mm-hmm. start a rivalry between Omega and John Moxley for a little bit. It would go up to end up having a uh, a tag team title reign with, uh, with Hangman Adam Page at Revolution, which, of course, that was an amazing tag match. And it'd be, yes. I, I remember what I said to you guys. That's probably the reason why the Bucks became Tag Team of the Year for me in that match. <laughs> Oh, year of 2020. If only I knew what I knew now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, right, every so often you don't know how good you got it. Exactly. Exactly. They would end up having a, a great, like, a silly bollock stadium stampede match against the Inner Circle. I, that match is nuts. I mean, the fact the Elite teamed with Matt Hardy as well in that match. 
<laughs> Look, it, it was a whole thing. <laughs> it was a whole thing, but I found incredible enjoyment in that, especially when... Oh, like, yeah, no, it was one of the most fun matches we'd had in a while. A long, long time. Uh, 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 up until up in All Out, uh, Paige and Omega would end up losing the tag championships to the uh, recently debuting FTR. <laughs> And, you know, they've been going from... After that, of course, Omega went back to singles top competition. He became number one contender for the AEW Championship uh, in the tournament in the final round at full gear. And at Winter is Coming in December the 2nd would defeat champion John Moxley to become AEW World Champion. And this, of course, made him turn heel and started the kind of belt collector time. That is... Um, yeah. Right, here's the... How do I put this? That is kind of very divisive, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, yes. Kenny would end up becoming Impact Champion in a in a kind of uh, the start, I guess you could say, of the Forbidden Door. Uh, he would end up defeating uh, Rich Swan for the Impact World Championship. He would then go to Triple A to defeat uh, uh, the Mega Championship from Phoenix and basically became the all-conquering world champion. Now, here's what I'm... Here's, Oh, before we get to that as well, before I get to this question, of course, I can't forget about the... No, I almost forgot about it, but I have to talk about it. At Revolution 2021, he ended up having a match, an exploding barbed wire death match against John Moxley, where he would retain Yay! the title. And then we got the, we got the damp squib of the explosion at the end. Yes. God damn it. The light firework show at the event at the end. Well at least it got us at Dynamite. It gave us the 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 the, the amazing sound clip of Oh my god, 69 me dog, 69 me. Yeah. Yeah. So chaps, this has been a very divisive thing in modern wrestling um today. Mm -hmm. The belt collector reign of Kenny Omega. Your thoughts on the whole thing? On that moment in, like, on that little chunk of time. Because, uh, for me, I've got some feelings and thoughts about it. But I'd like to hear your thoughts about Kenny's time as the belt collector. So. I think the easiest way for me to do it, or talk about it, is just to say, I understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm I understand what the aim was. Mm. Yeah. The problem was, obviously, how do you do this without creating a massive problem? Yeah. <laughs> of which I don't think there's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I've always been a little... Um... I've always been a, a little skeptical with storylines like this mm -hmm. in general. Mm. It, it softens the blow because it's Kenny Omega. Yeah. But softening is the only real term for it. I, you know, I genuinely, um, I genuinely feel like I just don't like, as time has gone on, I feel like I just like, apart from maybe undisputed, like, you know, belt re reunification storylines <laughs> apart from that i genuinely don't like it when up uh, when like champions go for more and more belts mm -hmm. it just feels it just feels wrong <laughs> it just mm. it just feels like on a like a sport like 
kind of perspective. It makes perfect sense. Like, I'm yeah. going to get this belt and I'm going to get this belt because I am the best. It makes sense. I mean, boxing does it all the blooming time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, boxing does it all the time. And it's, and I admit, it's always hype as hell seeing, <laughs> seeing these guys carrying all the belts. It's great. But in terms of wrestling, you, it's like you're taking a spot from someone. Yeah. One way or another. Even if it even if it works, you're still taking a spot from someone. And I always err on the side of don't take swaps from people. I no, I whole I wholeheartedly agree with that. I feel like with the whole idea of it, it's it it could have been good if executed a little better. And I also felt like it was a very knee-jerk reaction to try and make sure that you kept fans engaged, especially because you know during that time, of course, we had the, we were we were deep into the Panasonic. Yeah. And what way can we keep viewers and audiences watching and engaged? And oh, how about we just make one guy the most dominant man in all of professional wrestling? And well, because because that was going to be the thing, right? Um, like I said, you have to. How do I say this? You know, you have to do a certain kind of. There's no way that you can do it without the per without everyone involved kind of coming off worse. Yeah, because it's like all of a sudden now you've taken that title away from say Impact, mm-hmm. and you're basically in a way it kind of says like, look, no one on this brand is good enough. Mm. I mean, I remember. So then you mm. need so then you need to find someone that's good enough to take it on. And then it becomes about like, you know, who who's that going to be, if anyone? Yeah, I remember, I'm just saying, in my personal view, it should have been Chris Bay. Yeah, I mean, I remember we were kind of really excited about the concept of this whole thing. You know, we talked about yeah. it in news segments. It's like, oh, could you imagine if they got, say, you know, you know, Rich Swan showed up in AEW's backyard and said, "We've got unfinished business." And stuff. there was, I mean, potential-wise, the concept of it really could have worked well. Yeah, no, it absolutely could have. And it's what we said about, like, about this storyline, which is it has so much room to be so, to have so much cool stuff. Because, you know, but also it also just lends itself to, like, I mean, obviously it would be pending visas and everything, but, you know, you could have had, like, you know, in an ideal world on it, uh, one that isn't taking place during a Pangea. Mm. Um, you know, you could have had, like guys from AAA just be like, "Hey, you've got something that I want," mm. or like, and again, like, because it, it's a thing I spoke we've spoken about with this, which is that really in the bigger scale of things, Impact really came out of this rough. <laughs> they did, yeah, they did. I because mean, it became, because it became their title got won back by Christian Cage, which I do rate because obviously Christian Cage, you know. The connection, and it was a and it was a good uh, and legit. It was actually a good main event and a really good no, main it, event it, to open up. You know your brand new show as well. In yeah, Rampage. no, it was brilliant. But the thing is, though, is we're looking at it and we're going, well, who? Like in my head, it should have been someone that was with 
impact with impact yeah i would have and gone of course to... the problem the problem at the time is it would have gone to someone like moose and that's just, at this point just fucking awful <laughs> uh, like, I thought, that's like the worst fucking thing that could have happened <laughs> but you know in a perfect world we could have had someone like trey miguel um chris bay uh at the time willie mack mm. hell i would have you know, like i would have said someone shit. like that i would have hell i would have gone out on the limb and said, you know, if 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 you're not confident in those names, you know, not, you know, drawing a crowd, Saban or Shelley as well. Yeah, dude. Any point, give me Kenny Omega versus Alex Shelley. Any point. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more, go into detail about Kenny's reign with the AEW Championship in particular. Of course, in uh, in at Double or Nothing, he would end up having quite a bit of a sleeper triple threat match against Pack and Orange Cassidy. That was a that was a pretty darn good match, if you ask me. Especially especially for Orange Cassidy, because again, it's that thing of Orange Cassidy in the AEW Championship match is something I don't think a lot of people expected. But he shone, he shone really well in that match, if you ask yeah. me. Uh, of course, we talked about the debut episode of Rampage where he lost the Impact Championship to Christian Cage. Great match. All Out would see um, Omega and Cage go at it again for the AEW World Championship. Now. I remember at this time, of course, a lot of people were kind of a bit, ah, were a bit iffy about it because a lot of people were wanting Hatman Page um, to be there. But of course, you know, they had that stipulation match with Page and the Dark Order versus the Elite that if Dark Order and Page lost, yeah. Uh, hangman couldn't challenge for the title anymore uh that was of course to write hangman page off for a little bit so he can actually go and be a dad you know and be, you know the people are you know people have lives outside of wrestling guys you know if he wanted to step up and be a dad uh, let him be a dad let him take maternity leave for crying out loud <laughs> so but no in all honesty like all that match not a bad match not as good as their rampage match but of course at all out it's probably one of the most remembered pay-per-views of last year because it gave us the visual of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson debuting. <laughs> well, yep. yeah, that's that's the that'll do it. Where the fucking Bizarro world opened up. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, I feel like with Kenny's uh, World Championship uh, reign, it all was stemming and setting up the the story between him and Hamman Page, which had started when they became a tag team. Yeah, no. I mean, it was it was basically the the the, the conclusion, mm. and what a conclusion at that! Because at Full Gear in November, they had a a, a tremendous match, um, a tr- probably one of Kenny's best matches in quite a while as well, if you ask me. Uh, and Hangman Page became AEW champion, and that is where we kind of end up because since then, uh, Kenny has been resting up. Because he was working quite injured during that. He'd been having a lot of niggling injuries for quite a while. Um, as yeah. a matter of fact, some of, because of some of those injuries, like a sh- I think it was a shoulder injury, he ended up suffering from vertigo. Yeah, well, he was saying about how he was... Or how he was suffering from damage to like the shoulder and damage to his knees as well. And had like a whole laundry list of different injuries that he was going through. Yeah, at this point he was being held on by a whim and a prayer and a Nintendo controller wire. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, so, I mean, 
Kenny Omega's had hell of a career, honest to goodness. And I feel like everything he's he's been, you know, he's done and, you know, trying building a name from himself, doing it on his own terms, carving his own path. It's commendable. It truly is commendable. If you ask me. Um, yeah, no, it is like, like I said, just like purely based on the ridiculousness of what he's had to just manage. Mm. Yeah. Guys, you know, the guy has guy thoroughly deserves has thoroughly deserved the career he has had, you know, because not a lot of people not a lot of people probably would have rejected the WWE offer to try and you know risk a a venture that has not been done since about two thousand and one. Yeah. To try and directly, you know, say, look, we're, we are a, a high-budget alternative to the WWE. We're not looking to replace them, but we're looking to give you something different. Completely different. And uh, I tell you what, for the time they've been around, they certainly have done that. Yep. And Kenny's definitely been at the forefront of that, too. You know, whether you liked him and whether you didn't like him, he's definitely been one of the people that have been at the forefront of that. And um, I tell you, after everything he's been through, as well as just the niggling injuries he's had, you deserve a rest, sir. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Please like, absolutely. Please rest. <laughs> rest. Daniel Bryan will still be there when you come back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So... I guess you know we end this week. We end this one on you know where do you see Kenny coming back, and what do you see? What do you think you see Kenny doing when he comes to you know being on a more regular schedule? Okay, I see Kenny returning at Forbidden Door. Mhm. Because I think what more, like, really, what's more apropos? <laughs> you can't get more poetic than that. Dan Kenny Omega returning at a joint AEW New Japan show, <laughs> where, as I said, as I said to you guys before we started, him uh, appearing to then intervene in the uh, mess of a like the mess of a relationship that his entire family is in right now. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's because one of them's left. <laughs> well, it's like one of them's left. Someone's come back from the dead. Um, you know, it's like a soap opera storyline at this point, <laughs> which is appropriate. But here we go. Um, so really, that's what I see. And he doesn't even have to come back wrestling. He just return and just be like, "What the fuck is going on here?" I leave for five minutes. Yeah, literally, it's like that. I leave for two moments, and this is what happens. <laughs> like what? Like what is going on here? What are you doing? Uh, this was not. This was not happening when I was here before. It'd be just that the the the. the this is when they like they bring in um, they bring in Jerry Springer for a cameo role, don't they? The dysfunctional yeah. elite fan. <laughs> oh man! I and you know what though? That's like if I can't imagine if he's not going to make a like a like a, a running appearance, a physical appearance is you got. I can't see any yeah, other he'll way. Just, he'll just, he'll just, he'll just, he just rolls up, just being like, mm. "Hi everyone, how are we doing?" <laughs> 
Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I can't see any. I mean, could you think of anywhere else, guys? I mean, uh, oh gosh, uh, uh, double or nothing, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know when he'd be coming back, but I know what he's going to be doing. Hmm? Kenny Omega has a long list of people he needs to fight now. Yes. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the, the level, like the amount of like big ticket, um, you know, opponents has skyrocketed since he's been away. <laughs> I, uh, however, funny. however, I do personally want. To see him being yeeted into the stratosphere by Keith Lee. Yeah. That'd be my first choice. Not, not even a match. Just just he walks up to him and like stop Keith and then just gets thrown. I, I That's mean, all I need. And then we're done. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, that can is... we can we re can we recreate the um Adam Cole getting yeeted into the crowd by Keith Lee, but with Kenny Omega. Yes, <laughs> exactly what now I that I'm thinking yes. about it, Kenny Omega versus Keith Lee would just basically be a battle scene in My Hero Academia. Oh, it would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, you know, Kenny Omega would reference it as well because that kind of dude. <laughs> Two big weebs facing off against one another. You know, there's just going to be nothing but anime references. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the 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 way you know the AEW roster is now. I think Kenny's going to come back in a to, to you know a very strong um group of people that he can face off against. Uh, and the fact that we got you know we've got full capacity back now, I think it's gonna it's gonna produce well, a different kind I was of atmosphere. Because we've got we've got like different people now, and obviously the the bar is where the is where it is now. But like obviously Kenny Omega versus Adam Cole. Presumably for custody of the young bucks, um, is now a very real possibility. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just saying this for when both of them are back, but I'm just eternally in my head trying to manifest um, uh, Kenny Omega versus Miro. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. We need um, that match. We really need that match. Well, the first match, the first match we need before that is we need Miro versus Keith Lee. Yes, yes, yeah. We need the Meat Man match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like obviously, you've got you've got all of that. You know, you can have. That, yeah, there's so there's so much stuff I'm going. And hell, look, man, if DDT's opening up again, you know. Past versus past versus present, Omega Takeshita. Yeah, I mean it kind of writes itself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like they just need they they can just have a one. They can just literally have a one on one on Rampage, and that'll be it. And I don't need anything else. Mm. I don't need it to be a whole storyline. Just have the one match. Yeah, and I feel in a sense I feel kind of. AEW are good at doing that. You know, you you don't need fluff for certain matches that have been kind of touted as, you know, oh, that'd be a really good match to see. They'll just give you it. No questions asked. Yeah. <laughs> They're not that bad at doing that at all. But no, like I'm 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 excited to see Kenny back, honestly. Um from all I've from what I've heard, depending on who you get your news from, he's either having a really good time. And is a really good time developing the AEW game, or he's been an absolute, or he's having an absolute nightmare of a time developing the AEW game with Ukes. Depending oh, on no, who you I, hear I, from. 
he, he's probably there just like constantly talking to the the remainders of the team that worked on No Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> that worked probably, on the Aki engine. He's that, just probably like, just go and talk to them about like the absolute finities of it. And that's probably the thing that's probably why they're thinking of him as a nightmare because he's just nerding out. It's like, what did, when you did it, No Mercy. <laughs> Kenny Omega probably knows more about the Aki engine than most of the people that worked on the Aki engine do. That is, tr- that, that's, that is for true. That has to be for true. <laughs> but no, like, depending on what that is, you know, make of that what you will. Um, you know, but he's still, you know, he's still working hard. And man, can't wait to see Kenny back. And that's where we're going to end it. <laughs> and that is where yeah. we end today's episode on, on Kenny Omega. <sighs> Hell of a career. Hell of a time. And I like to think that this is a, a nice little prologue to what we've got coming up next. Yeah. Because, chaps, blimey, can you believe we've been doing this two years now? This month. Oh, no. Yeah. It's it's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> we've, been into, we've been yammering on about silly stuff in pro wrestling for two years now. It's terrifying, isn't it? Terrifying. Utterly terrifying. Utterly terrifying. But because of all that, we're going to be doing a highly touted episode that we've been thinking about for quite a while haven't we um we're and we're gonna do it to kind of gear up for our release of our two-year anniversary we are going to be chronicling the history of all elite wrestling and our next episode we're gonna do we're gonna start with part one the elite to all in it's going to be a heck of an episode. It's going to require a lot of research and watching back of mm-hmm. stuff from me. <laughs> but I'm excited to join this, right? Because there, again, because there are a lot of cogs in the machine to get this off the ground. Of course, a lot of money from dirty billionaire Tony Khan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm excited to chronicle it and excited to talk about what's what's been, what is happening, and what's to come for all elite wrestling. So stay tuned for that, everybody, and be excited. But... Until then, I have been Sam, this has been Reardon and Dan, and you have been listening to the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.